This is a UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland podcast. My name is Dr Sinead McCann and I am a Public Engagement Officer at the UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland for the project Prisoners, Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. For details about the centre, please go to our website at www.ucd.ie forward slash history forward slash chomi. To listen to other episodes from our archive, please visit the centre's iTunes page or our media website chomi.org. This episode is a recording from the one day event Inside Reform Prison Healthcare Campaigns Past and Present a policy workshop hosted by the Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland and held at the National Gallery of Ireland on the 2nd of June 2017. Inside Reform was a policy event organised by the Wellcome Trust Senior Investigator Award Prisoners Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. The co-principal investigators of this project are Associate Professor Catherine Cox, Director of the UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland, and Professor Hilary Marland, Director of the Centre for the History of Medicine, University of Warwick. In this podcast, Dr Holly Dunbar, a postdoctoral research fellow at the UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland, presents her paper called The Case of Prisoner Alpha. Holly is a research fellow on the Wellcome Trust Senior Investigator Award Project Prisoners, Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. to 2000. Our third speaker is Holly Dunbar. And Holly is... Um, a research fellow on the Welcome Trust project, also on Citizens Medical Care and Entitlement to Health, and she's based at uh, UCD here in Dublin. And her research project is on prisoner health and after care. In particular, her work examines the evolving relationship between philanthropic organisations and uh, the state in preventing provision of health promotion among released prisoners. And the title of your paper today, Holly, is, as you know, and everybody else doesn't, <laughs> The Case of Prisoner Alpha Hearing Prisoners' Voices Advocating for Health Reform. Um, Today I'm going to discuss a pamphlet entitled The Case of Prisoner Alpha, which was published in 1945 by the Prison Medical Reform Council in England. The pamphlet outlines, largely in the third person, the issues faced by an anonymous 24-year-old prisoner, known only as Alpha to protect his identity. Alpha's crime and the location of his trial were not disclosed in the pamphlet. The pamphlet reported that in 1943, during his court hearing, Alpha's lawyer had argued that because he suffered from epilepsy, Alpha was not physically capable of withstanding the hardship of a prison sentence. The judge, however, chose to ignore the plea that Alpha's medical needs would not be adequately met in prison and instead sentenced him to 18 months imprisonment in Wandsworth Prison. Having described his trial, the pamphlet went on to address the failure of the prison medical service to care for his health needs during his incarceration. Alpha repeatedly requested a special diet as he suffered from sore and bleeding gums. He also asked for new glasses when his own went missing and a plastic sheet to protect his mattress in case he wet the bed, which was a symptom of his epilepsy. While in prison, Alpha was visited by an agent of the Prison Medical Reform Council. 
Subsequently, the council took on his case and worked to get him better access to medical care by petitioning the Home Office. After his release, the council published the pamphlet about his experience to further expose the issues faced by imprisoned people with specific health needs and to rouse popular support for prison health care reform. In this paper, I am going to give some background to the pamphlet, then expand upon its contents and finish by considering a few key points from this case study. In doing so, I will reflect upon the methods and motivations of the Prison Medical Reform Council, as well as some of the issues that they encountered when advocating for prison health reform. I will also consider how Prisoner Alpha's voice and experiences were used in the Prison Medical Reform Council's publication to communicate the need for reform and how effective publishing an account of Alpha's imprisonment was as a reform strategy. The Prison Medical Reform Council was a small lobby group which formed during the Second World War. It was comprised mostly of conscientious objectors who opposed violence and were often imprisoned for speaking out against conscription. Members of the council included affluent middle-class feminists and pacifists like Maud Royden, a member of the Executive Committee of the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies, Vera Britton, a nurse who wrote a popular autobiography, The Testament of Youth, which was first published in 1933, and Fenner Brockway, an anti-war activist. The Prison Medical Reform Council was created when its founders experienced the prison system as a result of their and their associates' political campaigns. For example, in 1943, they had produced a pamphlet about the imprisonment of Kathleen Lonsdale, a well-known scientist and conscientious objector. Lonsdale had been sentenced to one month's imprisonment in Holloway Women's Prison for refusing to support the war effort or pay a fine imposed on her for her opposition. After this initial contact with English prisons, the Prison Medical Reform Council took up the case of ordinary prisoners who had been incarcerated for crimes not related to the war. They became involved in Alpha's case when one of their agents, who regularly visited prisons in London, met him and listened to his account of the treatment he had received in Wandsworth. In contrast to Lonsdale, Alpha had limited financial resources. He also faced issues gaining or remaining in employment because employers were disinclined to hire him if they knew he had epilepsy. He had, on multiple occasions, been dismissed from employment after suffering a seizure at work. The Prison Medical Reform Council chose to keep Alpha anonymous to protect him because since leaving prison, he had found work and they feared he might be sacked if his employer found out that he was both an ex-offender and an epileptic. Alpha was arrested and tried in 1943. At his court hearing, he implored the judge to send him to an epileptic colony rather than give him a prison sentence. He had spent time in such a colony when he was younger. Alpha described his medical condition to the judge. He said, since 1937, I have suffered from epilepsy, which was the result of an accident. I have been in several hospitals, including an epileptic colony. I submit, therefore, that it is very difficult to keep any one job very long, because as soon as a fit is seen, I am discharged. Not on, now, on the last few occasions when I have lost my job, I have been unable to get any assistance. I am not entitled to national health benefits, and when I have asked the Unemployment Assistant Board or Labour Exchange for assistance, I have been told that they cannot assist me. In this last incident, my doctor told me I was suffering from epilepsy and also sinusitis, which appears to be the cause of the violent headaches and pains in my eyes. In fact, it is very depressing. This is the only instance 
when Alpha's words were used in the pamphlet. All additional descriptions of his experiences in the publication were written by the Prison Medical Reform Council. The judge in his case ignored his pleas and he was committed to Wandsworth on the 9th of November 1943. In their criticism of the judge's actions uh, by sentencing him to prison, the Prison Medical Reform Council claimed that it was well known that epilepsy tends to blur the subject's mind as to the distinction between right and wrong, and that therefore Alpha would have received more appropriate treatment in the epileptic colony. In making this argument, the council were advocating for a change to the way that adult epileptics were treated in the justice system. At this time, it was not usual for epileptics who were deemed to be sane to be committed uh, to prison, uh, sorry, to, to be committed to specialist institutions as opposed to sent to prison. In claiming that epilepsy blurs a person's ability to distinguish between right and wrong, the council members were reflecting contemporary views on, on the links between epilepsy, mental illness, and criminal behavior, and the need to segregate and confine sufferers. In the late 19th century, epilepsy was believed to be caused by a moral failing and associated with a degenerated brain. Causes of epilepsy were unknown, although it was believed to be variously a hereditary illness caused by infection or trauma, or stress, or even pregnancy. Epileptics were regularly institutionalized um, in prisons, asylums, and from the 1890s, specialized epileptic colonies. These colonies functioned like work camps, um, and in them, epileptics were sometimes the subjects of medical experimentation. The colonies continued to operate until the 1950s when the first anti-seizure drug, Dilantin, began to provide better management of epilepsy and there was less inclination to segregate sufferers. Alpha's epilepsy and his other illnesses defined his prison experience. Before entering prison, he had eight teeth removed and at the time of his incarceration, he had sore inflamed gums. Consequently, when first admitted, he asked to be placed on a minced diet, but the prison governor refused this request. Alpha sought the assistance of the visiting magistrates, who were responsible for inspecting the prison, but they also took no action on his behalf. He then petitioned the Home Office, but they decided not to pursue his complaint. Although it is not explicitly stated in the pamphlet, it is implied that his word wasn't taken seriously by the Home Office because he was a prisoner. A month into his stay at Wandsworth, Alpha had an epileptic fit, and he was sent to the hospital wing. While there, his, spe his spectacles went missing from his cell. In response to his request for a replacement pair, the prison medical officer claimed that Alpha was not short-sighted enough to, to need the glasses, and so if he wanted a new pair, he would have to buy them himself. It was at this point that the Prison Medical Reform Council became involved in Alpha's case. Having heard his complaints, the council petitioned the Home Office on his behalf asking them to provide Alpha with suitable facilities to deal with his condition. Their visitor also continued to keep in contact with Alpha during his incarceration. After the Prison Medical Reform Council's petition to the Home Office, Alpha was summoned by the Prison Medical Officer in Wandsworth and rebuked for availing of outside assistance. Nonetheless, his request for a plastic sheet and a method of drying his mattress were, were granted. New spectacles, however, were not forthcoming and he remained without a pair. This is particularly striking, I think, because the Medical Prisoner Prison Reform Council could have purchased him a new pair of glasses. They had the resources, and the prison had repeatedly said that if they were paid for externally, he could have a new pair of glasses. But they chose not to do this. And this suggests that the council were using Alpha's experience to, uh, to further their reformist agendas 
while not always acting in his best interest as an individual. The case of Prisoner Alpha garnered a lot of popular attention when it was published. This may have influenced the reform of the prison, prison medical service, at least in Wandsworth where Alpha had been held, but it is impossible to accurately <coughs> gauge its impact as the restructuring, restructuring of the prison medical service was already underway in 1945. As for Prisoner Alpha, his after his release, he kept in contact with the Prison Medical Reform Council, who reported that he was doing well and had been employed in the same job for several months. So I'm just going to conclude with a few final thoughts about this case study and what it can tell us about um, the work of reform organisations historically. Um, firstly, the case of Prisoner Alpha demonstrates how powerful hearing prisoners' experiences can be and how useful prisoners' experiences are for groups advocating for reform. The case study also highlights the role reform organisations have played in battling the issues faced by people suffering from the intersection between stigma around health conditions and the treatment of imprisoned people. Alpha suffered because of his epilepsy, um, but, the distrust, but also because of distrust of prisoners and the unwillingness of the prison authorities to listen to his pleas for plastic sheets and dry mattresses, uh, which compounded the health issues which he would have faced if he were outside prison. Finally, this case shows the difficulties reformers and ex-offenders have faced, and, and I think still face, in manoeuvring around individual and societal perceptions of ex-prisoners and people with ill health. These perceptions form invisible structures in our society which act as obstacles and in some cases barriers to reform and are particularly damaging to achieving improvements because they can be internalised by prisoners and reformers themselves. For example, both the Prison Medical Reform Council and Alpha argued for him to be segregated from society in an epileptic colony. It is not unexpected that the Prison Medical Reform Council were influenced by the prevailing views of the society and culture that they lived in. And I have found it helpful myself, looking at case studies of how past reformers have been affected by their personal outlooks, um, to think about how this presents an opportunity for researchers uh, li like me and others uh, working towards penal reform to take a really self-reflective approach to how and why we advocate for prisoners' health rights.